Welcome to the Italian Renaissance Podcast, where we discuss essential topics about the art and culture of 15th and 16th century Italy. I'm your host, Lawrence Cianangeli. Andiamo avanti. Hello, everyone. Before we get started today, I would like to do a little bit of housekeeping. Um, I've officially launched the podcast YouTube channel. It's not overwhelming, but it's essentially the audio paired with the different types of visuals you would need. Um, if you're interested in listening and seeing, I'm not a video editor, not a very good one anyway, so um, I, I still would urge you to, to subscribe and like the videos if you, if you prefer to watch um, art podcasts or history podcasts based on, on images available, and I'm going to get better at that. That's a bit of a trial right now, but it's something that, that I aim to, to do moving forward. I also started the Instagram for the podcast, where I'll link essential images and also keep you notified for upcoming episodes if you're not subscribed through other through other hosting services, or if you just want to look at the images. Um, without having to look them up yourself, I'll provide them there. Those, uh, the YouTube and the Instagram should be linked, so feel free to share, like, follow, and all the fun things that help spread the news about projects like this. For those of us in the Northern Hemisphere, most of the Northern Hemisphere anyway, it's springtime, right? Um, and we have Easter coming up in the Western world, and there isn't a, an Italian Renaissance podcast that could possibly skip uh, Easter without discussing the Pazzi conspiracy. This is... This is a step away from the beauty and art and renovation of the Renaissance and a look into the darker, grittier, and less savory aspects of Renaissance society, politics, and culture. For those of you who are not familiar with the Pazzi conspiracy, I will summarize it briefly before we get into these really, really fun details. However, what we have is... A Florence, surprise, we're back in Florence, a Florence that is now under the unofficial control of Lorenzo the Magnificent, Lorenzo de' Medici. This is a good moment for me to say something about that. I've heard prominent art historians, podcasters, uh, lecturers inside of official museums always say Medici, Medici, like that. That's not right. Um... It's Medici, right? You're, you're biting down on that first E. You're not Ichi in it. <laughs> that makes any sense. De Medici. Repeat that out loud so um, when you talk about this stuff with your friends, as all the cool kids do, you remember Lorenzo de Medici. We talked about Cosimo de Medici. We didn't talk about Cosimo de Medici. Okay, that's just a pet peeve of mine. Anyway, so we talked about Cosimo de Medici who um, is the grandfather of Lorenzo, but now we're fast-forwarding into the 1470s, where Florence is a republic, right? But it is heavily controlled uh, or under Medici influence, uh, namely Lorenzo, with some unofficial assistance from his brother Giuliano, which is a, an essential figure in this tale, tragic figure in this tale. Um, so they, of course, have rivalries with the Pazzi family and the Pazzi bank, 
which ends in a murderous bloodbath. This is the essence of the Potsy conspiracy. I want to tell this story in full detail. If you guys recall, Italy is not a unified nation in this period. We have several different city-states, republics, etc. For example, the key players, we can start in Naples with King Ferrante in the Kingdom of Naples. And there's also the Papal States. So they're very important because keep in mind that the, the Rome, the seat, the seat of the Pope, is not like we know the Pope today to just be a, a religious figure, but was also a ruler, almost an imperial sort of ruler because the Papal States look to seize territory a lot of times. They're militant often. And um, the Pope was both military leader, ruler, and the official voice of God on earth by the, the, the thought of the time. There's also the Republic of Venice, very important Milan under um, Galeazzo Sforza. I love that name, Galeazzo. And of course, we have the Republic of Florence. And there are many other small ones, small like, like Urbino, that's going to be pulled between allegiances and forces, and they have to make smart political decisions, either for self-preservation or for, for whatever motives that they may have. Now, amidst all this was hatching a plot to assassinate the Medici and to end their unofficial rule of Florence. This plot involves some key players, namely one uh, Girolamo Riario, who was a papal courtesan in Rome, um, Francesco Salviati, who later will become the art, the Archbishop of Pisa, but has specific cause to dislike the Medici because that appointment was blocked. Now, Lorenzo the Magnificent denies having uh, attempted to block the, the, the appointment and that the Republic of Florence itself was disgruntled that the Pope would appoint an archbishop in Tuscan territory, in Florentine territory, without their direct consent. However, Salviati blamed the Medici family specifically for the year-long period that he had to spend in Rome waiting in shame for his appointment to go through. And then we have Francesco de Pazzi, where we get the name, the Pazzi conspiracy from the Pazzi family. There's some important information about the Pazzi. What we're talking about here is rival banking families, but with different backgrounds. The Medici are not of any type of noble blood. They came from a, a small area outside of Florence called Mugello, and through Giovanni di Bici de' Medici, and eventually through the, the splendor of Cosimo de' Medici, they became the ultimate banking family in all of Europe. So this made the Pazzi insecure, the Pazzi who come from a line of noble Florentine blood to claim to have been the first over the walls of Jerusalem in the, the, the Crusades, right, during the Middle Ages, to feel that their essential birthright to Florentine uh, banking, to nobility, is being tainted by some outside, innoble family is insulting and causes a lot of tension, especially in this type of society. 
And to make matters worse, uh, as we talked about, the, the Medici family were, were strong advocates for patronage of what we defined as Renaissance humanism. Now, this is nobility of the soul, nobilita dell'anima, right? That nobility doesn't come from your blood, nobilita di sangue, as the Pazzi would have believed. And these are the major cultural trends that are changing in this time. But as we talked about, historical periods don't just start and end. As we can see very clearly here, the Pazzi believe in a type of social structure that conforms to a more medieval model, while the Medici are, of course, for their own benefit, advocating for a type of nobility that they can achieve just based on their souls. So, with the Medici as the premier citizens of Florence and the unofficial rulers of the Republic, the noble Pazzi family is left to publicly admire this ennoble blood that rules above them in a position where they fully believe they are meant to be. Now, the power of Florence comes from a strong alliance that Cosimo de' Medici formed when he was de facto ruler. That is between Milan, Florence, and Naples. By the time of Lorenzo the Magnificent, that treaty is starting to fray, and it becomes rewritten in the form of an alliance between Milan, Florence, and Venice. And in light of this new alliance, the king of Naples brings an escort to Rome to announce his allegiance to the Papal States. But back in Florence, the Medici are celebrating their diplomatic victory with a joust. This is something I think a future episode is, is worthy of because Poliziano, Politian, the, the great poet of the Medici court, writes his marvelous stanze per la giostra, right? The stanze for the, the joust of Giuliano de' Medici. Giuliano and Lorenzo for Poliziano were more than just patrons, of course. They were uh, close friends. So stay with me, guys. This is all build up to the events of that grim Easter mass in April of 1478. Around the same time, the Pope closes his accounts with the Medici Bank, and after a brief period of his accounts moving, among other bankers, it is officially given to the Pazzi family. In addition to now being the Pope's bankers, the Pazzi and their fellow conspirators get permission from the Pope to remove the Medici from power. Now this comes with the caveat from the Pope that no one should be harmed during the process. Of course, we can imagine that the Pope is well aware that someone may be harmed, but he did not want to bring shame upon the, the Holy See, right, and the sacredness of papal power by promoting assassination and murder. And lastly, the conspirators bring in the patriarch of the Pazzi family, who had, until that point, resisted Jacopo de Pazzi. And finally, with the, the influence of Francesco, Jacopo was brought into the conspiracy. And now, wheels were in motion. They were gathering soldiers. They were positioning 
militants in order to successfully attempt a coup of the Florentine power structure. The only problem is they could never seem to get Giuliano and Lorenzo together. There are several moments in which the conspiracy was supposed to have unfolded. The assassination was supposed to happen, but for one reason or another, they missed them, or Giuliano didn't show up to an event when he was supposed to, where they had planned to kill them both together because they knew they had to kill them both together. It isn't until Lorenzo invites the conspirators to join him at high mass at the cathedral at the end of the Easter period in Florence. However, when all of the parts were in place, armies are moving against Florence, militants are armed and disguised within the walls, and here comes high mass, Giuliano, again, is nowhere to be found. So Francesco de Pazzi and the fellow conspirators go and extract Giuliano, who is ill in bed, and they walk him to the cathedral, seemingly as friends, arm around him, kind of checking him for armor to make sure he, uh, he can be properly stabbed. Now, the Medici would enter the cathedral. We're talking Brunelleschi's dome, Santa Maria del Fiore, the great cathedral of Florence. And they'll take their prominent position with uh, the other more prominent members of Florentine society at the front of the cathedral under the dome itself. At 11 a.m., at the toll of the bell, Four men attacked the Medici, Giuliano and Lorenzo. Francesco de Pazzi and a fellow co-conspirator plunged their knives into Giuliano's chest and stabbed him to death. Lorenzo, on the other hand, was able to counter the assailants against him and draw his sword and fend them off in front of all of Florence under the dome of Florence. Just as quickly, Medici allies swarmed Lorenzo, fended off his attackers, and rushed him to the sacristy of the church where they could board him up behind its massive bronze doors and keep him safe. Now, a barely wounded Lorenzo is rushed back to the Medici palace just as Salviati leads his soldiers against the Signoria and the Palazzo Vecchio in Florence. Unfortunately for him, his attempt is quelled. The Signoria rings the bell, rallying the people of Florence to the piazza, and then Jacopo di Pazzi rides up with his troops to find the palace barred against him, and the people of Florence against the Pazzi uprising, and they fight back. Regardless of the confusion, the blood, the assassination, the chaos and the turmoil, the Pazzi did not have the support of the Florentine people that the Medici had. The violence that followed against the Pazzi conspirators is unmatched to the gruesomeness that they had against Giuliano. I have a book in my hand called Magnifico by Miles J. Unger, who quotes an apothecary named Luca Landucci that describes what was happening to the Pazzi conspirators by the hands of the people of Florence. The quote is, Amongst others, a priest of the bishops was killed in the piazza, his body being quartered and the head cut off, and then the head was stuck on top of a lance, 
and carried about Florence the whole day, and one quarter of his body was carried on a spit all through the city with the cry of death to traitors. Ghastly trophies in the form of assorted body parts began to appear outside the Medici Palace as if it were the home not of the leader of the most civilized city in the world, but the abode of a cannibal king. Isn't that charming? <laughs> now, most of the conspirators, namely Francesco de Pazzi and Salviati, would be uh, hung from the Palazzo Vecchio nude publicly. So, although poor Giuliano de' Medici was heinously murdered at high mass, at the high altar of the largest cathedral at the time, uh, the conspiracy was overthrown, and the Medici under Lorenzo maintained their hold and allegiance of the Florentine Republic. In light of this, um, I'd like to, to point you towards a really fantastic painting by Sandro Botticelli, called Palace and the Centaur. This was not painted for Lorenzo, but there is a suggestion that it symbolizes the Pazzi conspiracy's failure. It is the wise Athena, wrapped up in a laurel. Remember, the symbol of the Medici, one of them. She also has interwoven diamond rings, another symbol of the Medici. She is quelling, taming, the beast, the centaur, the Pazis, with gentleness and wisdom. We know that's not what happened. But this is an interpretation of the painting, right? Because Botticelli was a prominent member of Lorenzo's circle to, to depict a, a type of allegorical painting like this, where the wise Athena tames the beast. Medici are wisdom. Pazzi are bestial. The war that ensues after this, the, the attempt to, to hunt down all those who are involved, um, takes 10 years before they finally end their vendetta against the Pazzi conspirators. Given how complicated the details are of this story, I tried my best to condense it in a manageable way. But if you're interested in further reading on Lorenzo the Magnificent in his life, I recommend the book that I've already mentioned, called Magnifico or Magnifico. Remember, we don't really hit those GNs like that. Um, the Brilliant Life and Violent Times of Lorenzo de' Medici by Miles J. Unger. That's going to be a biography of Lorenzo the Magnificent if you want a very thorough and detailed account of the Pazzi conspiracy. There is a book called April Blood by Lauro Martinez. Florence and the plot against the Medici that will get into every bit of detail of all the conspirators, their backgrounds, their motives, and uh, the aftermath of the plot, which I obviously did not get into in any great detail at all. Other references from this period that I, I mentioned that I highly encourage you look after is the Palace in the Centaur by Botticelli in the Uffizi Gallery. Have a good look at that. It's a gorgeous painting. Um, and also the Stanze per la Giostra, or the stanzas begun for the Joust of the Magnificent, Giuliano de' Medici, by Politian. Fantastic example of Renaissance poetry that combines elements of classical poetry with their idea of contemporary pagan idols. And lastly, if you want a really far-fetched account of this sort of event, 
The film Hannibal, if you guys haven't seen it, it's the sequel to Silence of the Lambs. Hannibal actually is in Florence and murders a Pazzi the same way that they are killed by the Medici cohort in light of the Pazzi conspiracy. So watch the Hannibal film because it's really, really good. It, it treats this subject not in a historical way, but in a very entertaining way. And lastly is the Medici Netflix series by Rai, the Italian television network, which isn't accurate. Uh, Sean Bean played Jacopo de Pazzi, and he plays him brilliantly as like a fictional character within the scheme of the television show. He's a very bitter, angry fellow, which isn't necessarily the case. As we, we learn, Jacopo de Pazzi is kind of dragged into the scheme in reality, but Sean Bean plays a very fun interpretation of Jacopo de Pazzi in addition to the other brilliant performers in that series. Just don't watch it and think that it's going to give you any accurate sense of what happened during the, the 1400s. Okay. Thank you all for listening. Putting together such a complicated history in a concise way was really challenging for me, I have to admit. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope it was informative. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for more of the Italian Renaissance podcast.